Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 77 of the Naturally Nourished podcast. Today's topic is a very relevant one that often plays as the primary driver of dysfunction in our patients' bodies, stress. The influence of stress when in excess or not managed well can drive immune dysfunction, inflammation, and even metabolic impact. And I know this topic was kind of created or squeezed into our lineup um, as, Allie, your recent stress immune flare with your book deadline looming. Um, (laughs) Yes. Yes, the anti-anxiety book has driven all kinds of, (laughs) a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of an immune flare. Um, So we wanted to share a little bit of personal information with our new listeners that have just joined us and talk about autoimmune disease and the stress connection as well. Yes. So I talk a lot about the role of stress response in the sense of anxiety in my upcoming book, The Anti-Anxiety Diet. And as we are recording this, I am proud to say I am on the last week of edits um, with the publishers. We're playing that game of tennis where (laughs) I have to reword things to sound less beep-boo-bop-boo or uh, dumb it down, if you will, from the high-level science. Um, But I am so excited to have them as a sounding board to ensure that I can bring the most up-to-date, scientifically supported information on how to empower you all to live stress and panic-free. So this book is going to come out in July, and it is already up on Amazon and Barnes & Noble, and yes, you can pre-order it, but... I will ask and prefer that you listeners all wait until we start pushing the pre-order because all of these systems kind of work in algorithms. So we'd rather get a high influx of pre-order sales like the month or two before the book launches versus a slow and steady trickle because this will actually help us to spread the book to the masses and will increase our algorithms on Amazon sales and hopefully get other bookstores to pick up the book um, as far as hard copy for retail as well. So um, lock and load and hang tight, guys. We will announce when we would love for you to pre-order the book, and um, you will be able to do so soon. I can't believe it's actually coming to fruition that this is actually happening. Um, And I'm so excited to dig into, what, 300 plus research studies and more. Yeah, I've I've, uh, tried to not weigh Becky down with any of the process um, other than her passive, delightful experience of me (laughs) as a being in the process. But um, I I don't think I've been too bad. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, she's had some eyes at me during certain resources. Like I had her looking at the lab recommendations last week. And this week, my final appendix material is the supplement table which as you guys know, my love for (laughs) nutritional supplements 
could make a book of itself. So there's a lot of information jam-packed in here, and I'm, I'm super, super stoked to be able to put it out as a resource for you all. Yes. And I know with the clinical work that I've done so far, the influence of the HPA access and stress can sometimes just be the most remarkable piece of someone's journey or their health puzzle. Yeah. I mean, things that even seem non-directly related, like inflammatory bowel disease. um, And of course, today's topic being autoimmune disease. So that would be like Crohn's, ulcerative colitis, multiple sclerosis, Uh, you name it, the role of stress on the immune system. We've discussed, I believe, a couple times throughout varied episodes, but um, today I'm going to be sharing a little bit of my journey of um, the time of my life when I was uh, diagnosed with autoimmune disease and how that plays a role in my body today. Like you said, Becky, I actually was on my Instagram stories sharing, I got like a, I think it was like a 20-hour Um, bug and I I just kind of knew it was happening and I'm sure I would have gotten that regardless maybe of autoimmune disease but just in how intimately connected I am with my immune system and um, a lot of you were curious on my path so I'm I'm ready to share it let's do it (laughs) awesome and and before we dive into your personal story let's just talk a little bit about defining stressors because I think there's some that are a little bit sneaky. They might not be perceived outwardly as stress. For sure. Or some are you stress, you know, the the EU stress where it's a positive stressor, (laughs) but um, can still over time create that increased demand, which can drive dysfunction for certain. So if we break down stressors that physical and mental or emotional, uh, physical stressors can be things such as running a marathon. So exercise output Um, We think of marathon because there's tends to be a lot more oxidative respiration. And so we get a little bit higher free radical overload with marathon running um, or the higher intensity like interval training or CrossFit would be typically heavier stressors. And we've seen research studies that correlate the high impact output to cortisol trends, for instance, in the saliva. So there is a direct uh, stress response from some of those types of exercise activities then it could be a physical change as far as pregnancy or breastfeeding. So the physiological stress of carrying a child or you know, per- continuing to provide nourishment for one. Recovering from an injury could be another form of a stressor. So whether it was a torn Achilles tendon, whether it was an injury from a car accident um, or something that's kind of a physiological demand on the body. There can be environmental toxicity as another physical influence. So for an individual that's working as an esthetician, maybe, or exposed to higher amounts of agricultural pesticides or cosmetic pesticides, um, all of these would be a physical stressor to the body. And then there is the GI element. So we could have a imbalance of gut bacteria to be a physical stressor. So often I'll have a really chilled out client, um, but they're dealing with really severe adrenal fatigue because of the state of GI distress and the severity of their dysbiosis or pathogen activity in the gut. And that can totally interfere with that enteric nervous system or the stress system in the gut. Um, So that can be a physical stressor, as can uh, food sensitivities and inflammation in general. So all of those can be physical. 
Then there is the mental or emotional drivers to stress. So these could be uh, as far as like true mental demands, like from your work environment or, or studying or cramming as a student. Um, it could be based on financial stress or financial burden and distress about insecurities of, of your financial state. It can be based on a relationship. So establishing a new relationship can be distressing to the system or um, even one existing with uh, you know, dynamics within your spouse or your life partner, family dynamics, uh, a fight with a coworker or a friend, a breakup, a test or a deadline for work, a death in a family with a household or a household member or you know, a close person in your, in your relationships. Um, and then even things like we said, you know, a, a wedding, a job promotion, new responsibilities, all of those can be mental or emotional stressors as well. So pretty much everyone listening has probably two to three of those impacting <laughs> them at the yeah. time, um, even if they wouldn't, you know, name them as stressors, especially some of the physiological stuff. Um, so let's talk about the HPA access alley for listeners that are new to this topic, although we talk about it in just about every episode, so we'll keep it brief. Um, can you break down the function real quick of each gland and just talk about sympathetic versus parasympathetic nervous system? Sure. So I know we allude to it in many episodes because stress connects to so many areas of dysfunction in the body. But um, it is important, yes, to continue to stay familiar with all of the mechanisms. And there's no way in today's episode I'll be able to get into every single one, but I'll highlight some of the big ones and how they influence different areas of the body. So the HPA axis is our sympathetic stress response. It is our fight or flight mechanisms of the body. And HPA stands for its glands of focus, which are the hypothalamus, the pituitary, both found in the brain, and then the adrenal glands found above the kidneys. So within these glands, they kind of play a game of telephone or a constant feedback to each other where both the hypothalamus and the pituitary can stimulate the release of cortisol from the adrenal glands. Um, and then each gland has many other functions as well. So the hypothalamus plays a big role on our body temperature. Um, it really regulates a lot of our homeostasis or our baseline of balance essentially for the body. So our body temperature, our circadian rhythm and sleep and energy cascades are regulated by the hypothalamus. Uh, our metabolism and our satiety, so leptin, um, which is that satiating hormone targets the hypothalamus in the brain. And then our hypothalamus also makes our thyroid releasing hormone, which plays a big role on how much of that metabolic hormone is released to burn calories in the body. Our pituitary upstream from that plays a role with our antidiuretic hormone. So that's going to play an influence with our fluid retention and our thirst signals in the body. Our pituitary also plays a role with our thyroid stimulating hormone, and that's typically the only marker that's run by most doctors when they're looking at thyroid function 
So this is actually made by the pituitary, um, and, and that plays a role with our metabolism. The pituitary also makes our human growth hormone, which can play a big role with our sexual hormone function, as well as lean body mass and metabolism. So that can influence our testosterone. Um, our pituitary also can stimulate our progesterone. In fact, this can be a big area of dysfunction in stressed out females often their progesterone will drop quicker than their estrogen and they'll get that estrogen dominance. And then um, the pituitary also makes our oxytocin, which plays a big role with libido and reward seeking and bliss. So kind of those reward mechanisms in the brain. And then beyond the pituitary, the adrenals probably where I personally see the biggest hit of stress. Um, let's talk about what they do. Yeah, so the adrenals tend to be the star of the show, be that we think of the term like adrenaline um, derived from that gland. So the adrenals have two parts. They have the adrenal cortex and the adrenal medulla. The cortex makes our cortisol and our aldosterone. So aldosterone plays a big role with blood pressure regulation. Um, also, when we talk about like adrenal fatigue and especially in the keto world, we talk a lot about the importance of salt. Um, because if the adrenals are distressed, often aldosterone gets thrown off, so we need more sodium in the body to regulate. Um, and then cortisol is also made by the cortex. And this is that steroid hormone that too high of cortisol will actually suppress the immune system and um, drive fluid retention or bloating. And too low will often drive inflammation or more food sensitivities. Um, so you can even get um, kind of more leaky gut-like reactivity with too low of baseline cortisol. And then uh, DHEA um, is also going to be made by that cortex. And that's a steroid hormone that's a precursor to our estrogen and our testosterone. And it also plays a big role with stress resilience and stress tolerance. So for some individuals that are flatlined on their cortisol, if they still have ample DHEA, they may not be experiencing that low energy or that drop. Um, also be mindful, listeners, that DHEA is a precursor to a building block for our ketones. So those of us that are in ketosis, you'll always hear me recommend to run your DHEA as DHEA sulfate in the blood um, or for more sensitive marker and more of a functional marker looking at a salivary assessment maybe with a four-point cortisol to ensure that your body has the building block to produce ketones as needed or if we have to give it a little bit of, of support on a glandular or DHEA level. And then the other part of the adrenals makes our neurotransmitters, and that's um, the medulla, and that makes our norepinephrine, our epinephrine, and our dopamine. And these are neurotransmitters or brain chemicals that I talk a lot about in my book um, and how they influence stress, anxiety, cognitive processing, multitasking, professional drive and vigor, and even things like insomnia. Awesome. And then when the immune system is in this high stress mode, it can either overperform or it can underperform. Right. So let's, let's talk about and break down what happens in each of those situations. Yeah. So um, I think underperformance is what's more commonly known. And so for, in, in, 
for instance, when we talk about like cold and flu season, um, we talk about the importance of stress reduction and uh, getting adequate sleep because we know that the immune system is compromised if we are under high stress, we're not sleeping enough, and especially if we're malnourished. And um, that would be underperformance. And in an underperformance level, we tend to see suppressed function, meaning that the immune system, we think of the immune system like a surveillance system, okay? And so if it's suppressed, it's not going to be identifying foreign invaders. Um, and it's also, if it's suppressed, it's not going to be upregulating its army of things like natural killer cells or um, different phages or phages that can eat away at bacteria or viruses. Um, and so we tend to have more susceptibility to things like bacteria, cold, virus, flu, and also even things like cancer, um, where the immune system or that surveillance system allows things to pass that are malformed cells and should otherwise be imploded essentially or, or killed um, and reworked. Um, so if the immune system is underperforming, we have higher susceptibility to bacterial, viral, and um, also uh, foreign invaders that could be seen in the form of pathogens and parasites, as well as even um, foreign growth in the form of cancer. Awesome. And then what about overactivity and autoimmune disease? So that's the other end of the spectrum that's often underlooked. Um, and so when the immune system is under chronic stress mode, and again, what we're looking at is that HPA access. So we talked about a bunch of different pieces of that puzzle. So even a sign of like drop in libido or even a sign of insomnia or a change in our energy or sleep cycles or body temperature could be an underlying element of this HPA axis being off kilter. And if it's on overdrive fight or flight mode, often the surveillance system gets like amped up and it tends to over respond to things. And that's where we see autoimmune disease, where the immune system actually detects its own tissue, its own organelle, its own gland as a foreign invader and goes into attack mode. Um, and so the way of kind of thinking of this is that the stress creates this haywire dysfunction of the immune system and it just starts to throw inflammatory processes and it tends to, for whatever reason, compute that that particular area or gland. So in a sense of Hashimoto's thyroiditis, the thyroid starts to have more antibodies where the immune system is actually attacking the thyroid gland and we can test for that in the bloodstream and or the thyroid has more inflammatory processes which we can see with the TPO, the thyroid peroxidase and inflammation activity. And that burnout is driven by the immune system kind of uh, driving that attack. Okay, great. And so really we see individuals responding on, on either end of the spectrum, either with this underdrive and underperformance and more susceptibility yeah. to, you know, they finish a deadline or something and all of a sudden they're totally flatline on the couch for a week with the flu or... Yeah. Yeah. That fly on the wall, the buzz, buzz, buzz crash. And then, uh -huh. you know, the other connection to make is a lot of the autoimmune drugs, which work as um, immunosuppressants or biologics and interfere with that excessive signaling drives suppressed immune function. And that's why cancer is a significant risk factor with those classifications of drugs. It's like we're shutting down the whole system to reduce that auto attack. 
Yes. So hopefully today's episode will give some other tools other than shut down your immune system, some tools for how to get it back in line and and functioning appropriately. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So I want to dive in because I know this is what everyone's waiting for. um, Dive into your personal diagnosis, Allie, with autoimmune disease and how your body responds to stress. So I know in the last five or so years of knowing you, um, there've been a couple of times where your body has gone into total shutdown mode under stress. And I know that sharing your journey is going to make a real connection for many of our listeners. Okay. (laughs) Well, here we go. I'm like, I I tried to, for today's show notes, kind of um, leave some bullet points. So, um, and I'm not used to talking about myself. I'm used to talking about concepts. So I'll, I'll try to give the, the kind of base on my, my health dysfunction. And, um, you know, one should never be their own functional medicine doctor. So I, I'm not going to directly say what the Achilles heel or pinpoint was, but I'll lay out some of the highlights. If I was doing an intake on myself <laughs> and <Sure>. my health <laughs> history, you know, what, what I think are things that provoked or fanned, fanned the flames, if you will, leading up to my diagnosis. So um, I think that uh, the the first probably onset of health history was with uh, Raynaud's phenomenon, and um, that I think happened when I was in second grade. And um, I have a long-standing history of of autoimmune disease. I guess that's the first thing to note. So. Um, my mom has Hashimoto's thyroiditis. My uncle has rheumatoid arthritis. My grandma, who it's usually skipping one, which would be closer to my influence likely, um, has really severe rheumatoid arthritis. And, um, I think she has 47 artificial joints. Um, wow. Because yeah, she started to have joints replaced back in the fifties. Um, So yeah, I I mean, I think that that's a huge um, contributor to a lot of my family history. And I I, I don't know, I mean, she's she's been on daily prednisone, I think, since also this, I don't know, a while, many decades, and um, high-dose methotrexate and uh, was on varied forms of biologics. Um, So I have a strong family history. And in about second grade, I went skiing with my family and I'm from Wisconsin and a cold environment. And um, I fell into a lake, Um, like my brother and I were playing outside of a restaurant. I fell into a lake with ice pond in Colorado. And um, I remember like at the restaurant being in my underwear wrapped in like blankets and um, because we were playing while we were waiting for our food. So I had to like strip down. They were worried about like hypothermia. And, um, I was sitting by this fire and I remember for the rest of the week, like I wouldn't get color back in the tips of my fingers and my toes. And, um, I, it was the first time I think maybe I had had some preceding stuff, but that was like a big hit where I guess my family was looking at my circulation more and we were really kind of watching and monitoring. And there was a lot of like marbleization and delayed circulation in my hands and feet to the point where my ski instructor, because my parents would kind of send us to like ski school for that week vacation, and then they would go ski on their own slopes. Um, but but the last two days, I had to sit in the ski lodge, like I couldn't even get on the lifts because it was just so bad. And I had like all the hot packs and all the things. So anyway, um, that was my last ski trip, <laughs> and um, I think that I saw my my pediatrician, and they said, "Oh yes, she has Raynaud's phenomenon." 
Um, no need at this point because there's no other history or onset of, of autoimmune stuff. Let's just kind of leave it as a phenomenon. So you can have primary Raynaud's or secondary. Um, and so they thought it was just primary phenomenon. And that was that. And um, then uh, fast forward to like high school. Um, I lived in a pretty conventional household. Um, we were always the cool house. So we had all of like the like, you know, when the Cheetos paws were in, whatever the newest processed food snack was. Um, I don't even know what those are, Allie. They were just like, <laughs> I don't, I remember them in the 90s. <laughs> um, yeah. So like grade school, we had all the snacks and a lot of processed stuff. And I, I loved candy. And I think in high school, I started to go lower fat. Um, I wasn't overweight, but I was a ballerina. And I started to just like be really mindful of body. And um, I drank diet sodas, smoked cigarettes, and ate fat-free gummy bears for lunch. That was my diet. (laughs) (laughs) I know you guys, I'm not proud of it either. Um, Or if I had lunch at all. So very malnourished, very refined sugar, uh, toxins, obviously, as a concern. Um, fast forward, let's see. Oh, okay. So then I started my cycle and pretty much upon starting my cycle, um, went right away on birth control because of the severe cramps I was having. Um, I believe I had endometriosis right away. Um, and it was managed through prescription NSAIDs. So over the counter, Aleve or Advil didn't even work. I was on 800 milligram ibuprofen at like age 15 with birth control. Um, and I then, as I was getting tighter about dance, became more and more of like a type A um, perfectionist. Um, and that kind of worked hand in hand with the ballerina thing. So stress was starting to be concerning and sleep quality was starting to be somewhat concerning. I went to college as a dance major. And there, thank God, I started to become more health conscious. <laughs> so um, I uh, joined the local food co-op. I had quit smoking cigarettes, thank God. I um, was uh, volunteering at the uh, farmer's market and meeting organic farmers. So positive changes as far as I actually started to eat like vegetables. Literally in high school, I only remember like the frozen bags that were like dumped into a pan Mm -hmm. with like a can (laughs) of Campbell's soup and frozen chicken breast tenders, you know. So I did start to learn about vegetables and so much in sense that I got (laughs) tangled in the web of um, veganism and um, the Farm Animal Welfare Network and PETA. So um, (laughs) where I was improving my diet and getting more like phyto plant compounds, I made a turn down the road of um, increased consumption of gluten and soy Um, and still was having a good amount of refined sugars. Um, I had a lot of, um, gastric distress during that time. In fact, I think in like a three year window was in the hospital, like a decade, a decade, not a decade, about, about a dozen or 10 times maybe, um, for different GI distress. In fact, I always had Tums in my, um, uh, compartment in my car, like always, I remember them constantly like shaking at the stop signs and I would keep Tums in my purse. I took antacids and, um, I had really severe GI cramping, like where I had had a couple ultrasounds done, but no colonoscopy, no endoscopies done at that time. Um, and, uh, still was on the birth control. And then, um, I transitioned to vegan 
I, at that point, cleaned up from the artificial, not artificial, excuse me. I wasn't doing any diet. I was just doing still like gummy worms, but I pulled all those out because of the gelatin. And I pulled out just crap food um, and started to learn about Bastyr University. So I started eating more like Whole30 vegan, I'll say. Um, But I still had a lot of soy and a lot of gluten in my diet. In fact, I was making at that point, this is like now age 21, 20, I was um, pulling off the birth control and starting to allow my body to find its rhythm. However, I still had to use the medications to regulate pain and inflammation. Um, and I was eating cleaner, like not as processed of foods, except for the vegan processed analogs. And my GI was improving some, I wasn't using the Tums regularly, um, but still definitely had some gastric distress, but was starting to add in probiotic foods at this time. Um, like, so kombucha and stuff like that. Okay. And then let's talk about like the shift to when you got to Bastyr, because you know, changing you changed career paths basically or changed right right went to another university and um even that that shift can be a huge stressor on the body so what happened there yeah so when i moved so by the time i was moving to best year i was already very granola so like again candy was out soda was out all of those things Um, but I was still definitely vegan. And actually that was one of the draws to me for best year was that they had a vegetarian cafeteria. And I was like, I'm going to change the whole world and make everyone vegan. And so (laughs) as I'm moving to best year, I was actually at that same time learning about raw foods. Um, and, um, yeah, I had a huge financial burden of moving across country. Um, I was paying for my own school. I had actually taken an entire year off of college in the transition to work uh, at the hospital. I worked at Mercy Hospital in Iowa City as a diet clinic um, aide and um, like would fill the orders and such. And I even did some chef shifts as a vegan cutting like way gross confined animal farm meat anyway. Yeah, it was rough. (laughs) Yeah, powdered mashed potatoes, all the things. So I worked for a year leading up to this to gain, to, to save money. And so it was definitely an emotional stress of the relocation and then the stress of like, this better be it. <laughs> this better be everything I hoped it was. And then as I started to get a taste of what was going on in the naturopathic community, um, I went into like full drone, full blown, like I think my passion was my kryptonite because I just couldn't get enough information. And I didn't just want straight A's. I mean, I did. I wanted to be honor roll, like top of the class, but I wanted to be a master of the material. Like I wanted to make sure that I knew everything functional medicine and and integrative medicine and that I could master it. And so I took as many electives as I could. I started working at an organic farm and I started um, also training to be a raw chef. And that, I think, <laughs> the transition from just vegan into raw chef with the acceleration of the demand mentally and the studying and all of that at the naturopathic college, it was like the straw on the camel's back where I started to get really severe flares um, and also the first onset of like panic attacks. And that's when I knew there was something really off with my body. So at the time you were dealing with more flares of the the Raynaud's and uh, it was flaring and and still you were dealing with the endometriosis. 
Right. So I was, like I said, I was off of birth control, but I was taking like really, really mega dose um, turmeric and fish oil and magnesium glycinate around my cycle because I was starting to learn <laughs> about functional um, things that I could do to help my body. Um, but still didn't know I had endometriosis, so didn't go down that rabbit hole. Um, and I was still using high dose ibuprofen. And in fact, I was even on like prescription Celebrex. Um, fast forward into like 2009, 2010, it wasn't really until I completed my candida cleanse and did my first MRT diet with a strategic anti-inflammatory diet in 2012 when I started to see huge strides of improvement with endometriosis. And um, basically, this is like back in 2007-8 in Seattle when I was flaring and that's when we started to look deeper into connective tissue disorders, which makes so much sense now. And even looking at the influence of the fact that Stella was fused in my uterus, <laughs> there's definitely some connective tissue autoimmune um, trends. And, and we started, I started to seek treatment in like 2008, um, I believe is when it was. Okay. And so endometriosis was resolved and diagnosed much later, but, um, back in Seattle, you were having this onset of flare and, um, the stress connection sounds like it was a really big piece of things. Cause you went hard on all the things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was just like beyond, I mean, literally like even the intensity that you've experienced with me, yeah. Becky, <laughs> which is pretty intense. Like, I think if you had met me at Bester, you'd be like, this girl is a Looney Tune. I mean, I was like, <laughs> talk about adrenal surge of overwork. Like we talked about in the beginning of this episode, right? I think my adrenals were like chest bumping each other <laughs> and we're like, oh, like this is what we play for. Um, and I, my adrenal glands were just like surging all of the stuff. And so, yeah, I had pretty severe insomnia. I was studying like eight plus hours a day. I was in every lecture, every elective. Um, and then I still had the fear of the first year, Brady, my husband, um, lived out of state. So um, I didn't have as much emotional support. Like you mentioned, it's totally a big piece of the puzzle as well. And um, the stresses of all of the new things. Um, in fact, remember, I was... Um, driving a box truck. I was like crying the first day working for this organic farm, another side job on my hustle. And um, I worked uh, the Ballard Farmer's Market in Seattle and um, I had to take the box truck through a, a bridge downtown and it got stuck like under the bridge. <laughs> I remember just uh -oh, like, oh manically crying. I had to like reverse and like traffic had to stop because I had to go through the middle of the bridge where it curved. And this is back in the day before Apple Maps. I had like a printed out map, <laughs> right? I mean like, gosh. And I like didn't know where I was going. I was like in rush hour traffic driving this box truck, like just like crying, like ah. Um, so there was a lot, a lot of distress, a lot of um, emotional stress and mental stress. And I mean, I remember with IFM work and uh, biochem, I was memorizing and singing Waltz Around the Krebs Cycle. <laughs> it's to, the, it's to the, the tone of Waltzing Matilda, Becky, and it's Waltz Around the Krebs Cycle. So in case you ever, I can do that on another episode. And sing <laughs> I was like that hardcore uh, of a nerd. <laughs> I didn't just want to select the right answer on a test. I wanted to memorize the Krebs Cycle. <laughs> Oh my goodness, girl. 
awesome. Yeah, I don't know if we would have been friends. I'm not really sure. I don't think it, I don't think it would have happened. You'd be like, there's this weird girl in my class that sits in the front every day. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That was yeah. you. <laughs> it doesn't surprise me though, but I'm glad you've toned it down a little bit. Um, <laughs> yeah. Or channeled maybe. It's better. Yeah, exactly. Um, so during this time of increased demand, increased stress, you were also experiencing, you said, worsening insomnia, panic attacks, and then pain to the, the influence of, uh, or to the extent of influencing your day-to-day function. Yeah. Yeah. So like beyond just rain, rain odds was flaring regularly because cold, clammy stress. So vasoconstriction. I mean, I, I would have times where for like a four hour window, my entire index finger be absolutely like bone white, no circulation. You could pinch it. Um, and I was having a lot of neuropathy. Mind you again, I, this is catapulted by a stent of 90 days raw vegan. I, I get confused if it was three to six months. I swear I brainwashed out of it, but it was <laughs> I, at least three months minimum. Um, and, uh, so I think I had, I know I had very severe low B12 levels. Um, so neuropathy was really bad and to the level of not just t- pins and needles, but, um, running, um, pain up, up my nerves and then, um, definitely some loss of function. Um, very difficult, uh, use of like pincer grip or, um, grabbing on, uh, jars and things like that. And, um, with driving, like if I had too much vibrations, especially on the farm truck, it would really exacerbate the joint pain. And then even into my hips, I was starting to to recognize a lot of like the distress to connective tissue from my past dance, right. And being less mobile now and just kind of this stagnation of stress. Um, and then on the physiological stress response outside of the insomnia, I was dealing with tremors. And tremors to the effect of like vocal tremors with public speaking, um, tremors in my hands or feet, and um, significant shortness of breath, uh, which then would exacerbate the panic and tightness in the chest. So all of those symptoms um, took me to the Bastyr Clinic. I was like, hey, I'm here. I got to see what can be done and take this to the next level beyond the things that I'm doing to help myself. Awesome. And then once you went to the Bastyr Clinic, so that was accessible to you, I assume, as a student there, um, that you could actually go to the clinic for treatment. Is that right? Right. So I, they had student pricing, and um, I worked there as a student clinician the following year, but this was my first year there. And um, I remember after uh, they pulled me in, they were like, can we take pictures of your hands? <laughs> they like pulled all the medical students in. And um, so I started doing regular uh, acupuncture and cupping to help with circulatory flow. And um, I started with the acupuncturist team on traditional Chinese herbal blends. I started with the functional, they actually just were naturopaths. They didn't call themselves functional medicine at that time. So the naturopathic team, I started on an EPA DHA Omega. I started on arginine as a vasodilator. I uh, switched up my probiotic um, and they did preliminary labs, which yielded a um, very low, a chronically low B12, a ferritin level of three, which is really, really low. And um, I was positive for anemia. And then I also um, had a positive ANA. 
um, which we'll talk about later in today's show. So that was kind of the onset of, okay, we know there's something autoimmune going on with the positive ANA. Now, how deep down the rabbit hole do we want to go as far as uh, rheumatoid factor, Hashimoto's markers, and or um, connective tissue disease? And then at this time, you were still a vegan when you went to the, the clinic, when you came in at least, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, so I remember sitting on the um, examination table and they're showing me my ferritin scores. And they're, again, very supportive. They were, at least at that time for sure, very supportive of a vegetarian and or vegan diet. And you know, they're like, here's a handout on vegan-friendly B12 food sources, nutritional yeast, you know, all these things that I was already doing a lot of, especially mm-hmm. as a raw foodist, because it's like sure. everything you want to make taste at all cheesy. Um, and so it was on like my kale chips and in my shakes and the smoothies and all these things. And um, the, with the ferritin of a three, they were like, we're going to have to put you on a chelated iron. And, um, you know, instead of ferrosulfate, let's look at this um, iron uh, bisglycinate and, and varied forms of um, bioavailable iron. Uh, I wasn't at the level of needing an infusion, um, but I said to them right away, I was like, well, I know that supplementation is needed, but I'd really like to use food as medicine as my primary focus. Um, let's talk about the the difference of density. And that's when I started really delving into the research. Like you learn as a vegetarian, you can probably relate Becky like, Oh, well, broccoli is a great source of calcium, but then you see truly that it's over 10 cups of broccoli (laughs) to provide. I think it's to provide, and it's not even elemental calcium. You learn about the difference of elemental, right. Versus, um, a different, less bioavailable form of a nutrient. So in the form of iron, we talk about vegetarian iron-rich foods. Well, there's ferrous or ferric forms um, and heme versus non-heme. And so, you know, these are all non-heme irons and we need to make them ferrous. So we have to add vitamin C to them. And then there still is stomach acid issues with absorption. And remember my history of Tums in my <laughs> compartment in my car, you know, so I mean, there's, there's a lot of, um, I think, biome and acidity contributors as well. And so I decided that day to start to um, eat animals, actually. Um, and so I talk a little bit more about that. I won't go deep down that rabbit hole in the recovering vegan episode, which is our first episode together. Yeah. 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 Full circle. (laughs) I know. So, yeah. So, um, you know, I started at that day and and you can learn more more about that journey there, but yes, I started to transition in 2007. I had my first raw egg yolk (laughs) in a raw green smoothie. Um, but then I very quickly and rapidly progressed within months, um, to uh, having red meat and um, grass-fed steaks and, uh, you know, up into 2009 where I was for sure converted fully into more of a paleo using lard, bone broth, all of the goods uh, diet. And so that was definitely a, a big transition that occurred in that time. Yes. And haven't looked back since, right? No way. <laughs> and haven't felt that imbalanced since. I think that was a huge piece of the puzzle, but there's definitely other mechanisms as well, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so connecting today's topic, what role do you think that stress played in all of what was going on in your body at the time? So I think that, you know, you could connect it all, but I think that stress was the biggest driver of, of, my ANA being positive, which 
and ANA stands for anti-nuclear antibodies. And what that essentially is, is a primary marker diagnostic of presence of autoimmune disease. Um, it is dynamic, so your ANA can shift as far as it's tighter, as well as also its um, level. You can actually get a negative ANA um, scoring after having seen positive, um, but it's usually the first preliminary kind of line of autoimmune activity, and it's actually astounding how many patients of ours, I don't know if you see this, Becky, but I'm pretty sure, um, are dealing with autoimmune-like tendencies and an ANA has never been run. So I think, you know, a CRP is pretty common now to look at inflammation and or a SED rate. Mm -hmm. Sometimes docs go right into testing, for instance, things like complement or, um, you know, Sjogren's antibodies and particular markers, whereas an ANA, I think, is a very good preliminary, you know, affordable, if it's not covered by insurance, can cost about $80 to $100. And it's the first line of defense of knowing if your body is literally attacking itself and you're spilling. DNA into your blood. That means that you have autoimmune activity. Sure. That's, that's what's going on. So it wouldn't be specific to condition, but it would be kind of like CRP, how it tells us, okay, there is inflammation or there is with the ANA, there is autoimmune influence. Right. And um, I think that with functional medicine, and, and that was my decision at that time, um, I did at that time have a negative um, they did run a rheumatoid factor on me because of my grandma and the family history. Um, so that was definitely run and it was negative at that time. Um, they didn't run Hashimoto's antibodies, but since then, every time I've run Hashimoto's antibodies, they've been some level elevated. Now, since I've run them and I've been in more of an active functional practitioner role and really on top of my supplement game and trying to manage, of course, with food as medicine and lifestyle, I've never had a diagnostic elevated TPO or antibody score, but I've yet to have a test where they've both been negative or fully in range. Um, meaning like I'm getting like scores of like 22 in my TPO versus under 30. So it's still under 35, but that activity's there. And I think that that's just how my body's going to be. And to me, that's the litmus or that's my kind of Richter scale of how I'm regulating my immune system, right? And so my body is in a mode of remission of Hashimoto's. So yes, I do know I have Hashimoto's, um, since then, but it's in a mode of remission if I can keep that value of TPO under 35. Awesome. And then at that time, did you decide to, to go deeper and chase the diagnosis or just no. start on what you could do? Yeah. Yeah. So that was the thing I was, um, like I said, I was, you know, paying for my own school. I was on a really crappy insurance plan and they were like, well, we could, re we could refer you to a rheumatologist first line of defense that a rheumatologist is going to go into is and then biologics and immunosuppressants. And I, I knew right away that that was something I was not interested in. And I knew that I wanted to instead invest in integrative therapies than dig for a needle in a haystack diagnosis because this was enough um, for me to know that I needed to get aggressive. Um, so um, still to this day, I have I, I would call it some form of connective tissue autoimmune disease. Um, like I said, the trends like with endometriosis as well as a strong syndrome, the Raynaud's is a strong syndrome being likely secondary to whatever my autoimmune condition is. And um, then knowing with my um, Mullerian fusion, I haven't actually searched. I'm curious, as I'm saying it out loud, it just kind of came to mind, but I'm really curious of the trends of like scleroderma or other autoimmune diseases and um, you know, 
that engulfment of uterus for, for birthing process would be. I, I think I might be onto something. There. I'm sure there's something there. There's a really tiny percentage yeah. and it's yeah. likely connected to a connective tissue and or some level of adhesions I had after the endo- endometriosis. So definitely there's a strong trend there. Okay. But you said you weren't going to be your own practitioner. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes, mom. <laughs> I'm sure there's something to it. Let yeah. me know if you find anything. Okay, um, I'm going to so, stay out of the rabbit hole and just stay in the maintenance mode. We're good there. For now, yes. Um, so yeah, why dig for that, that ICD, ICD-10 code um, if you know that you know there's already a starting point to reset your system or you know how to get back into remission? Yeah. So I mean, that was the the driving point of my personal functional medicine journey, I would say at 2008. And that was the moment of truth in the naturopathic clinic when I started to monitor labs, my own labs, I will say, um, and um, modulating environmental cues and shifting my diet, which was definitely accelerated by eating more fat, for sure, significant improvements with circulatory function. And we know that we run micronutrient tests and one of the primary symptoms of you know, low fatty acids or low oleic acid, even as a foundational fat, is poor circulation, right? So there's definitely an influence there. Um, and then in 2012 is when I did my first cleanse to really reset my microbiome. And um, I did my first MRT test then. And again, from 2008 to 2012, I definitely tinkered with supplements and stress response and a shift of a lower glycemic, higher fat, clean diet. And I had done nutritional detoxes starting in 2008 as well. Okay. And then fast forward to today, you feel pretty much in remission and has your ANA score been negative since that first positive? So I only ran it one other time, yes, and it was in 2013, and it was negative. Mm-hmm. So I haven't run it since, and I actually just did a ton of blood markers um, because I'm following the anti-anxiety diet book, and I'm like, this is a time to check in on where I'm at. Um, I like to run blood on myself at least twice a year, um, and I didn't throw that in, but I should. I, I did run my TPO and my thyroid um, antibody markers, and I did run my CRP, and um, fasting insulin and leptin and a lot of other um, biomarkers of things that I'm currently kind of working on um, because that was negative. I think I'm probably not going to run it again just for expense. And again, it's not too expensive, but if it was negative and I'm feeling good, I feel like it's probably still negative. Sure. And now what labs, you know, what other labs do you monitor currently? I, and especially, you know, so for those of you that don't know, I have a 21-month-old. So um, the last time I ran my hormones was actually at uh, one-year mark uh, post-Stella. So I was just weaning breastfeeding. So I'm way past due um, on oh, yeah. my neurohormone panel. Time to do that. <laughs> I know. I run that usually twice a year. And so that's the Neurohormone Complete Plus panel that includes a four-point cortisol. It includes my sexual hormones. So my I, I do use uh, bioidentical progesterone. So I like to monitor use of that um, and where my levels are at. So it looks at my progesterone and estrogen. I had a history of estrogen dominance, as you can imagine, with the endometriosis. Um, so in my past history, I've had to use things like DIM and I3Cs to help to metabolize that excess estrogen. 
but currently I'm just managing on the maca and the, the bioidentical progesterone and the use of a ketogenic diet as a tool to help to keep my sexual hormones in balance. So that's been kind of my gravy there. And then I manage my neurotransmitters to adjust my amino acid formulas. I'm constantly teetering on amino acid strategy to help to optimize cognitive function. And I've got a pretty good synergy blend now flowing with my adaptogens and nervines. We'll talk about supplements in a moment um, that regulate also my stress response. So that's one of the biggest areas that I, I do at least twice a year. And then annually, I like to run my micronutrients. So I do that micronutrient test that looks at 35 different vitamins, minerals, and antioxidants. I annually run um, the cardiometabolic panel that looks at fasting insulin and lipoprotein particle and homocysteine to check on my methylation um, because I'm also um, have some genetic issues as well. I'm sure that would be assumed, um, but I'm uh, MTHFR heterozygous on both variants. So I have that going for me. And um, I like to uh, run a comp and CBC annually or twice a year. And I think that's pretty much, and then my MRT test, I run about every nine months, depending on where travel is at and timing. So um, I am looking to run that again, but I'm going to wait until I get back from Aruba <laughs> right before I go on book tour <laughs> to reset with my MRT diet. Oh yeah. Don't do that on vacation. That's no fun. <laughs> but the MRT is one of, I swear, the best ways of regulating autoimmune disease because it specifically looks at your body's surveillance system and what is driving inflammatory chemical release based on your blood response. So if you want to reduce your immune system attacking itself through inflammatory processes, that is the best way to adjust your diet to control that. So for my autoimmune people, MRT is a non-negotiable annual assessment. And then, you know, I really would say secondary to that would be that neurohormone complete plus for this HPA axis stress hit. Awesome. So that's a great place for folks to start on lab testing. Now let's talk about supplements. So Allie, what are you taking today for your supplements? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and well, before I say that, I'm like, sorry, I've also done my stool like three times. I just wanted uh -huh. to mention that because, um, it's a really important piece of the biome as well. And um, especially post my traumatic C-section, I really felt I needed to get in and see what was happening a year after Stella. So I did do that. My last stool sample was pretty non-remarkable. So I'll probably switch that to like every other year, every three years. Okay. So um, at Rise, I am taking, and this is right now, like this snapshot. So, you know, things change and I'll give you a little bit of the variances within that, but this snapshot of what Allie's taking. Um, at Rise, I'm taking a cellular antiox, which is the S-acetylglutathione with um, activated B6 and NAP and acetylcysteine. So that is an antioxidant formula that um, supports detox processes. It supports joint inflammation, and that's still where I feel some of my residual stress activity. Um, and so there's a part of me that wants to check back on that rheumatoid factor, but I just, I'm not going to. So cellular antioxidants I take for that reason daily, um, twice a day at rise and in like the middle of the afternoon. At Rise, I also take um, Calm and Clear, and I've been taking six of those a day with the increased stress demand for my book deadline. So Calm and Clear is one of my favorite formulas that I definitely have noticeable effect with. It has a blend of nervines and adaptogens, um, 
And so it's herbs that work as uh, relaxing compounds as well as stress rebounding compounds. And it also has L-theanine in there. And L-theanine helps to modulate our neurotransmitters. So it helps to create um, the influence of GABA while reducing excessive stress response and activity. It can help to metabolize excessive serotonin or help to build serotonin. So very good balance effect. And there's phosphatidylserine in there, which can help to reduce excessive cortisol. So for an individual like me who tends to go like, ah, lock and load with stress, <laughs> I really need to double down and get up to six. And some days if I'm feeling physiological stress, like palpitations in the chest, I will go upwards of nine of those. So that's like two, two at lunch and two at bed that I take currently of the calm and clear. Um, at breakfast, I take our B-complex, which has a blend of methylfolate and also um, active uh, folate um, in a non-methylated form so that we're not overdriving the methylation processes and driving too much stress response. Um, I also get in that B-complex choline, which helps with memory and acetylcholine for neurotransmitter function and um, my nerve function in the body for nervous system. Uh, and I trend, I tend to trend low in bees. So that's something I'm pretty aggressive about repleting in my body, especially when I know I'm depleting them through mental stress. Yeah. That's a big one. I was going to say that takes a huge hit with anybody who's gone through sure. any kind of stress. Yeah, for sure. And then I take the multi-defense with iron twice a day. Um, and so typically with breakfast, if I'm not fasting or with lunch and dinner, otherwise breakfast and dinner. And um, I take it with iron because I'm menstruating. Um, so I take that with iron every day, even on the non-menstruating days. Otherwise, if you're not menstruating or men, I would do the without iron option. Um, I take maca twice a day to help to support my pituitary and regulate that progesterone, as I mentioned, which helps a lot with my endometriosis. Um, it also helps as an adaptogen. And so for that reason, I take also the adaptogen boost, which is our stress-supporting formula for stress-induced fatigue. Um, the adaptogen boost, I do like a sliding scale of two to four a day, depending on my stress demand and stress output. And that has things like rhodiola, Panex ginseng, and cordyceps. So that really helps also with your resilience to stress and your metabolic function not going haywire. So that I've upped as I've recently felt distress in my thyroid. Um, it's like this kind of paranoia I have um, because my, my mom's TPO has been over a thousand. So we have like a pretty severe um, Hashimoto's trend. And so I really am protective about that. And the adaptogen boost can be one of the best formulas to protect the thyroid gland and optimize your metabolism during times of stress. Um, and then I take an EPA DHA extra at breakfast and also two at bed. So I take three of those a day for omegas. Let's see, what else do I have? So that's just the morning. <laughs> <laughs> that's just breakfast. The entire episode. <laughs> I'll just give you the rest of them in a name and then we'll put them all linked in the show notes so you guys yes. can read more about them. So then at lunch, I do my other multi-defense with iron, another maca, two of those calm and clear, and a super turmeric. Um, I've recently started super turmeric in the last six months um, when I was having more joint inflammation and I love it and can tell a definite difference in my body, um, especially as we'll talk about this upcoming most recent immune flare. 
I was upping that and that's what I use currently now um, to help with my menstruation. Um, so on the day one and two of my cycle, I'll take three to four of the super turmeric a day in addition to my three EPA DHA and that really helps with cramping and then I'm good. I don't have to take any yucky NSAIDs. Um, and then uh, my middle of the afternoon, I'll take more adaptogen boost, a B12 lozenge, a B12 boost lozenge, and the other cellular antiox. At dinner, I'll take, if it's a baseline day, just my second super turmeric. Um, I, I take Digestaid twice a day as a digestive enzyme. So usually with my dinner, that tends to be the largest meal. And then if it's a very stressful lunch day, I'll take it at that time or anytime I dine out. Um, I take an ultimate detox with my dinner and another calm and clear. And then at bed, I take a scoop or two of Relax and Regulate, which is our mag glycinate and acetal formula. I take a scoop of GI lining powder. I take two EPA DHA extras, like I mentioned, three a day. I take a targeted strength probiotic and a spectrum probiotic, one of each at bed. And then I um, use the bioidentical progesterone cream on days 12 through 28 of my cycle um, as warranted as needed at a dosage as needed. And then um, I've been taking, you guys know, uh, 30 milligrams of CBD at bed and a tincture. Um, and then I also have been taking, especially with the book deadline, one sleep support, which provides uh, 2.5 milligrams of melatonin and more nervine herbs like skullcap and valerian um, to help to get into a deep, restful sleep because I know that that is what's going to protect my immune system as well. And then I fringe in things like my grass-fed whey, collagen, phytofiber, and gelatin, kind of depending on the day and what I'm mixing up in the kitchen. It's a pretty full supplement load. <laughs> I mean, it's comparable probably to what I'm taking. So, yeah. I, what's your what's your any superstar that you're taking that I didn't mention? I think I'm on all of these. I, I'm on a pretty hefty dose of adrenal support as well because I deal with more of the other side of the adrenals and, and the fatigue. So, yeah, that's a big one. But I'm also doing the Calm and Clear and the Adaptogen Boost. All of the things, yeah. The biggest difference is probably the adrenals. Yeah, I took the adrenal support, interestingly enough, um, during pregnancy because the interesting thing is people that have autoimmune disease, again, they're typically overactive in their immune system. Um, but for many people, they still require adrenal support, especially if they're using steroid hormones like prednisone and such. You know, they need to get that natural cortisol rebound for the inflammation. Um, but what I was going to say is a lot of people that have autoimmune disease during pregnancy, your immune system is suppressed anyway. Um, and that's, you know, why um, some people feel their best during pregnancy, like especially people that have really reactive um, arthritis or um, conditions that are pretty significant with flare because the immune system down regulates as it doesn't want to attack your growing baby. Right. And so during my pregnancy, I was the first time kind of I dealt with low adrenal output. I feel there was some suppression there. So I did um, use a little bit of adrenal glandular and extra B6 to help with that fatigue in that first trimester. Otherwise, oh. I need to mellow these yeah. guys out and yeah. resilient. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Um, so let's talk just a little bit about, uh, I know we have a lot of clients who or listeners who'll be like, I don't want to take or be popping all these pills all the time. It's so many supplements. I'm going to have to get one of those old lady pill boxes. Um, let's talk about why you love using, uh, you know, medical grade supplements. 
Yeah. I mean, so I practice functional medicine and a use of orthomolecular support or high dose vitamin, mineral, and antioxidant or plant compound therapy is a significant tool in how I view optimizing health and function of the body. So, you know, I am someone that for certain believes and recommends these types of interventions because it's not just to manage a disease. So taking all these things isn't just to maintain that negative ANA. It's not just to keep me from flaring and feeling like a 65-year-old woman in my 34-year-old body. It is to feel optimal and to thrive in my body. And that's often the way I try to explain it to individuals. And we talked about this uh, also uh, remembering with um, our conversation with Dr. Ben Lynch, where it's like, you know, a supplement is just that. It is a tool to supplement your lifestyle. So if your lifestyle is such that you can be retired and you can put your feet up on a beach, you probably <laughs> don't. And, and you can eat the world's healthiest foods grown in organic soil <laughs> that is uh, you know, supported with compost and all of the things are working in your favor. You probably may only need one supplement or maybe none right? But unfortunately, the case is not such with anyone that I'm working with nor myself. Um, and I want to be the best mother, the best uh, practitioner, the best wife, the best individual, and have the best processes in my body as possible. And so that for me is my prioritization and, and where I invest. Um, and I like Optimal Thrive. Um, I think once you put your body into high gear mode, you don't want to pull it out. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's kind of my take on it. Sure. And, and I know the more I've learned about functional medicine and then started to experience more of these targeted formulas and the outcomes of them, um, you can start adding up to a lot of products or formulas. It can seem like a lot, but also for putting these superhuman demands, like you said, on your body requires a lot of support just not to die <laughs> <laughs> or feel like you're dying right. on a daily basis. And that's, that's the issue is unfortunately a lot of people are told, Oh, that's just getting old. And it is, that is just getting old. And that is just an increased demand on the body. And why not replete the increased demand if you have the information and the tools to do so? So, you know, with my practice, and I'm hoping I've, I've learned and heard so much positive feedback from you podcast listeners that aren't even active clients at the Naturally Nourished Clinic, but that was a huge mode of me going forward with the private label line of the Naturally Nourished Formulas is that I was able to cherry pick the top pharmaceutical grade companies out there and the formulas that have been tested by third parties, so companies that don't make any financial profit on potency and purity and um, ensuring that we're getting the best clinical outcomes and results, and then private label these formulas so that I have the opportunity to speak on them and that listeners and clients can know what is Allie's favorite fill-in-the-blank formula and um, an avenue that I can provide you access to these pharmaceutical-grade, high-quality products at the best pricing out there. And so we recently just launched auto refills, which is a great way for if you're someone that does use a formula and notices your benefit of, for instance, like that relax and regulate powder at bed and you sleep better, you have better bowel motility, you notice less clenching in your jaw. 
that's something you can set up for monthly or bi-monthly refills and you'll save a 10% savings and you'll also be able to have predictability factor with your spending. Um, so a really great way to help you to maintain in that thrive versus survive mentality within your body and that's my purpose here and that's my purpose as a practitioner. Yes, I use food as medicine, and within the food as medicine scope is using nutritional therapies that are targeted to optimize how your body functions. Yes, so even with that supplemental support, though, lifestyle and, and getting back to today's top, topic of stress, yes. um, stress can really hit the immune system. So we talked about how overdrive impact from mental stressors of school and work and moving and the stress of micronutrient deficiencies and potential inflammatory foods likely started your autoimmune journey or your autoimmune story. But now since that diagnosis, let's talk about um, your relationship with having an autoimmune disease and, and really what this has taught you about your body and how your body tells you when it's at risk. Yeah, I love that. Um, and I, I really think it's an important thing to empower. I work with a lot of uh, teenage girls that have autoimmune disease. And I think often it's easy to feel victimized by your body. You know, um, my body's broken or oh, I have to take all these things. And especially in the concept of like supplements, because it is, you're taking like 10 to 11 things versus one or two drugs maybe, but the side effects, again, are synergistic and positive versus negative. I think I've said enough on that. But um, you know, having this alarm system within your body can be seen as a blessing. So whether it is that um, I will, after a hard day, if I see too many patients in clinic, for instance, um, I'll get pretty severe reactivity in my hands um, to the level of like uh, sharp pain um, and or coldness or loss of sensation or, or significant shift with the circulation where the coloration drops from the nail beds and such. Um, and to the point where I, I need to truly like go take a hot shower um, and reset. And this is where I'm hoping to leverage an infrared sauna <laughs> to my husband. <laughs> I've been saying it. Um, Brady, are you I know. Are you listening as editing? <laughs> but no, um, you know, so there's symptoms in my body, mostly connective tissue oriented, temperature oriented is a huge one where I notice substantial body temperature changes um, under a stress demand um, or joint changes or circulatory changes. And to me, Yes, I have the immediate tool of, okay, I'm going to up my anti-inflammatory, I'm going to take a hot shower, but then that means that I need to prioritize some foam rolling and I need to not open my laptop this evening, um, or I need to ensure I get a good night's uh, rest and I'm going to try to go to sleep after I put Stella down um, and turn off the blue light. And so, you know, these little kind of alarms or awarenesses are helpful in ways because they tell my body when things are off. Um, and, and so for instance, there was a, a period of time and they can be more severe than others. They can be moments, they can be, um, dynamic. They can be, uh, for a lot of women, especially with autoimmune disease, it can be a change or a loss in your cycle. Um, so that's a huge mark that something's off again within that HPA access. Um, and one instance that comes to mind, I, I talked about how kind of my thyroid is a big area that I focus on in, in my throat. I tend to feel tension in my throat. Um, and um, there was a time in, uh, with my practice, I think this was 2000, like, uh, six, 
15, probably yeah, 2015 because I wasn't pregnant. Um, and there was a big growth with naturally nourished. I had just done a build out and I went from like, I think 1200 square feet to like 1700 square feet. And so that was a huge financial impact. My overhead, I think skyrocketed because I, I also hired um, two new hires. So I had eight um, employees and the overhead of my business shifted, for instance, from like $5,000 a month to like 40,000 a month. So it was like a pretty big, like uh, um, suffocating financial hit and felt very ball and chain to like, I need to work harder. I need to see more patients. Um, during that same time, I started launching our second initiative to pharmacy, um, which is an urban farm initiative. And I hope to do a third one sometime um, now that I'm all recalibrated. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, there was a big shift. And um, you can take it from there, Becky. You got I remember this one. That. <laughs> oh my goodness. So I was one of the, the part-time at least hires at that time and working, um, doing blogging for Naturally Nourished and maybe a little bit by 2015, maybe some meal planning. I'm not I think sure. maybe just starting. Yeah. Just starting. Um, so I was in office a couple of days, saw you kind of grinding it out. And we had this huge event of what, like a hundred or more people. Around, yeah. 150 or something. And yeah. I mean, we had like official security guards. We had a porta potty. Yeah. We had to get permits from the city. It was uh, a big deal. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, Allie was planning all of these lectures and we had stations and all of this coordination of different groups of folks rotating through the different stations and lectures of the event. Really cool event. And I remember at the very last minute getting the call or the text that Allie had no voice the day before the event. And you were probably like, oh, okay, like she'll be <laughs> fine. <laughs> Like, okay, well, you know, sign me up to do whatever. I had no idea what I was talking about. And, and so I remember doing a lot more lecturing than I was probably ready to do. Yeah. I mean, there were stations on like, um, let's see, there was uh, urban beekeeping and then an element on GMOs. It was a very synergistic event. So there was like composting station and then it talked about the microbiome and probiotics and soil-based microorganisms. And then there was a section on... Um, being a sustainable uh, omnivore and how to make bone broth. And so I had a good two hours worth of lectures as well as the opening and closing of the ceremony <laughs> and then had my staff kind of at different sections and other community partners. Um, and all of my two hours of lectures had to be distributed within um, my team within the last like couple hours of the event because it was like full-blown reactive laryngitis. I was, I was mute. It's the only time in my life I've ever been like directly mute. Yes. And, and <laughs> even without that autoimmune activity, I mean, saying you feel it in your throat, there's, there's something to that with the thyroid connection there too, but the immune system tends to get more worn down during stress. We'll see cold, we'll see flu, we'll see, you know, all kinds of hits to mm -hmm. our immune system. Yep. And I mean, that happened again, now that's severe. That was a dynamic time where I, and well, actually that was the same year that a friend had passed away. And that was the same year, you can listen to episode 43 of <laughs> Reclaiming Your Bliss, <laughs> that I decided then and there that I was gonna shut down my clinic and move somewhere to the hills to mellow out with nature and not keep 
running the hamster wheel. So then and there, I was like, okay, universe, check. <laughs> Got it. Like I can't spread my voice if I yeah. can't take care of my body. Like that was a, it was just kind of like biblical proportion hit for me personally, maybe not as big of a hit to you, but I'm sure it stressed you out, Becky. But um, it was, that was like a big kind of uh, hit the ax kind of to the whatever, fill in the alliteration. I don't know. Yes. So, yes. And, and then, yes, most recent, this is kind of how this episode came apart about, um, and I hope you guys are enjoying my personal rambling episode, but, um, <laughs> and that, that's what today was, was, um, I was doing some Instagram stories. I had like a 20 hour bug where I had vomiting chills and some GI distress, and I did have to cancel one day in the clinic. Um, but in 2015, I had to cancel, I think, like seven to eight days of patients. And the issue was I was booked out like eight weeks. So it would distress me to have to cancel patients that I knew were waiting for their consult. But my body would just keep breaking down. And that's when I knew I was like, nothing, this isn't right. I can't, I didn't go into private practice to kill myself. So just recent with the book push and that, um, and I was kind of ramping things up. I did get a 20 hour bug, but I rebounded and it was just enough to kind of appreciate <laughs> the role of the stress connection and uh, further recalibrate and focus on finding my mellow and not putting something on deck right after this book release. So um, it's interesting, the onset of this one, I thought I was having a panic attack um, because there's actually a connection of epinephrine, our adrenaline or stress hormone with a physiological pathogen activity and bugs in the system. And I think I had a bug and that's why I was vomiting for four times during that window. Um, but the pre-seed of this, Brady was like asking me very simple questions and I had finished my last client and I was just like in this mode where I was like, I'm, I kept saying, I'm paralyzed from stress. I can't handle any, I can't handle any questions. <laughs> and he would ask me something like, so this is back ordered. Can I do this? Something like just very non-emotional. What's for dinner, babe? I, I, yeah, I could not. I, I kept saying, I can't process information. I'm in survival mode. And I remember just like watching Moana with Stella, like rubbing her back. Like I can survive this. This is okay. I took extra stress support. And then like within an hour I was vomiting and I was like, oh, okay. My body needs to get rid of whatever's yes. going on. <laughs> But I think it was compounded by definitely a worn down system for sure. Awesome. So not awesome, awesome but you had a book, but <laughs> uh, that's kind of it, you know, coming, coming full circle. And, and this is a, a hint or a, a clue that we need to, you know, push pause. So after book launch, I know you have some vacation time and some downtime planned. Yeah. <laughs> And then I'm sure it'll be on to the next project. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, yes. But um, I think it's really helpful to, to have shared your process here. I think a lot of people can relate to these moments of the body breaking down, going into freak out mode, what have you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, so let's just talk about a couple of strategies to round things out here in terms of stress reduction and positive environmental support for stress yes. reduction um, and maybe some of the things that you personally include. Sure. So um, one of the big ones is for stress reduction and immune regulation is ample sleep um, and then movement, mindfulness, and meditation. So those are all things that you can control as your variables. So the first thing focusing on is seven plus hours of sleep. And um, like I said, that's where I did bring in the sleep support 
And um, I've been doing that every night since I had one night of interrupted sleep. I was like, that's it. We're not going back into insomnia mode. So I will be sure to put a link of that in the show notes. If you do deal with insomnia, that can be a helpful tool because it's a blend of the nervines and the melatonin in there. Um, and then winding down, disconnecting and focusing on sleep hygiene. So what activities do you do before sleep to get into a restful mind state and stop that rumination or running of the mind? Um, Focusing on resistance training with cadence. So I'm a big fan of bar method and or like defined type movements. Um, and that's my uh, goal for early April to get back into a regimen with that and hopefully yoga once a week. But for now, um, I've been um, just focusing on gentle movement therapy with stretching as a primary exercise. Um, and walking and doing a lot of the hills up here in Austin and, and trying to hike at least once a week with my family. Um, so reducing your high interval in intensity training or high stress activities can be a really great way to reduce stress for your body. Um, working on, so it'd also be like spin classes and like I mentioned, the, the marathon stuff. Uh, working on mindfulness and meditation, creating that space to reduce rumination or racing thoughts, um, getting out of uh, list making and downloading. Well, downloading maybe into an action-oriented plan can be a great way to list make. So, you know, instead of having all these racing pending to-do tasks, implementing a timeline with some strategy, maybe using some SMART goals or some deadlines, that can really help you to feel less overwhelmed and um, kind of task-oriented as far as completing so that you have less of that pending mode. And then within that, focusing on kind of harnessing that wild stallion of the brain space with meditation or affirmations. I'm a huge fan of affirmations. Um, I do more movement-oriented meditations, like during walking and just trying to take in sounds of nature and or breath. Um, but finding release um, and the ability to unwind is really essential in rebounding your body's immune system, your metabolism, and definitely um, turning off autoimmune attack in your body. So really important to be able to pull to those chains of, of reset and grounding. Um, and even if you need to just rephrase the shoulds or needs into I can and more of a surrendering mantra can be huge. And that is something that I do all of the time that I find really helps. Um, I was just talking with Leanne Vogel on um, an interview with her on the thyroid and I was saying, um, Becky, with this connection, like I'll, I'll feel it like in my thyroid gland when I'm stressed, not just like a, a, a tension in the voice, um, but like a, like a pain. And I kind of sometimes will even just like put my hands on my thyroid gland and like breathe into it and like create the vision of like the butterfly shaped gland flying away versus like landing. Um, and it sounds maybe really silly for some, but it's one way for me to really kind of like own and bring back my body to my body. Um, and I work on the I can's or I get to, like I get to be live in tomorrow night's virtual keto class versus, oh, I have all this going on and then I have to teach that class. You know, I have the opportunity to share my bliss and my passion um, 
to help people get fat adapted. And this is one of my gifts I get to share with the masses. Or I get to give my daughter a bath at the end of the night. Or I'm blessed to be able to wash these dishes from nourishing food that we made. So again, maybe that's not as that's a big <laughs> You laughed at that one. Um, but you know, gratitude and can can go a long way though versus feeling victimized for sure from our workload. Sure. And, and we're doing the same task or the same work. It's literally just the reframing of making it a, a choice or a, something we get to do versus something we have to do. So I think that's awesome. Yeah. And, and the who you are that arrives at that activity is a different being than the who you would be if you're in a different scope or a different relationship with that task. Sure. And then I'm thinking about our episode maybe it was the first or second episode of of this new year that is just flying by um, and and talking about choosing your word for the year, which was mellow, right? Yes. (laughs) How's that going? (laughs) Well, what was the last uh, truth bomb I posted? No, that was during peak. That that was during peak. I give myself the benefit of the doubt. And it was um, surrender. I got to find it. Oh my gosh. It was embrace the intensity. And I made a joke about that because I was like, I am embracing this intensity to get to my mellow (laughs) or something. I'm I'm working on that. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Awesome. And then I think last thing here, let's just talk a little bit about a food focus. I know, you know, with the anti-anxiety diet coming out, this is a big one on your mind in terms of foods and recipes that can support our stress response. Right. Because, you know, I find that stress, again, can drive the root of imbalance in not just autoimmune disease, but in many disease states. And anxiety is really that Achilles heel of stress imbalance. So all of the recipes in the anti-anxiety diet, which I'm just so stoked to put out as a resource in July, um, are going to be very therapeutic and um, foods is focus. But we'll give you little nuggets of information today. Um, And so the first area I would focus on is magnesium. Magnesium has probably the most medically literature supported influence on stress response on a physiological and um, can have a great influence on mental health specifically with anxiety. So magnesium in the form of magnesium glycinate or magnesium bisglycinate Um, is going to be the most bioavailable. You don't want to waste your money on, although it's a popular product, like that Calm Mag that everyone's Mm -hmm. taken at the grocery stores, that uses a cheapo, cheapo mag, and you might get some results, but you're getting more of an osmotic influence. You're not getting a neuromuscular function with that form. So I really like, uh, I'm a big proponent of our Relax and Regulate as a supplement recommendation, and that uses that magnesium bisglycinate, and typically magnesium is needed in abundance beyond food. But preliminarily, the food goals would include two to three cups of leafy greens, which are also going to give us some bioavailable B vitamins um, like folic acid, but leafy greens are rich in magnesium as well. Our nuts and seeds are going to be also a great form of magnesium, um, and those are going to be a great way to help, and as is dark chocolate. Um, So the cacao powder or cacao nibs great way to help with that relaxation of the vessels and reducing the stress response. And when when magnesium is optimized, that helps with our cortisol metabolism. And so remember, cortisol is one of those main output um, drivers from the adrenal glands. Okay, awesome. And then let's speak to antioxidants and B vitamins a little bit. 
So antioxidants are super important because oxidative stress can be on high demand from stress demands in the body. So antioxidants, of course, help to quench free radicals and reduce our, reduce our free radical exposure. Um, they help to neutralize oxidative damage and um, help to support optimal gland function throughout our body of the HPA axis focus. So antioxidants can be seen in fresh herbs and spices like turmeric, ginger, basil, rosemary, cilantro, cumin, all, just to name a few. And all of these also can play anti-inflammatory and or detox supporting effects. So great to use fresh seasonings and spices. And um, a big thing in addition to leafy greens that I'm a fan of and doing a lot because of farmer's market availability is sprouts. Um, so sprouts are an awesome thing to be able to get a nice dense pack of nutritional density that you can sprinkle on top of your salads, your, your proteins of choice, or your roasted vegetables, um, and can really be a, a great um, benefit for antioxidant support. And then our B vitamin foods, we're going to find most bioavailable in the animal proteins. So liver is an awesome option, as are egg yolks. Um, and then eating meats and uh, poultry, um, the darker meats tend to be more uh, bioavailable and in a nice balance of amino acids. Um, but these all help to support our body's uh, stress response and often get depleted in a time of stress. But like Becky and I mentioned, B vitamins also tend to need additional supplemental support because we tend to just really burn through those. And that's why those two are big sellers, air generic, big stores. Like you'll see B complex for stress and energy um, or for stress and metabolism. And the big thing I would call to action of watching out for though is getting bees in their synthetic form. You want to make sure you go for a quality form like our B complex um, and or consider a B complex that has nervine and adaptogen support as well, like the calm and clear that I'm taking a million a day of. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm at like six as well. So <laughs> I'm not writing a book, just dealing with my day to day. <laughs> um, and then last one here with the focus of the adrenal glands and, and supporting those little, those little nuggets above our kidneys. Um, yeah. Let's talk about vitamin C. Yep. So, um, the adrenals actually are the highest storage for vitamin C, which is pretty wild. And vitamin C-rich foods help to regulate our body's cortisol production and metabolism. So um, vitamin C helps to modulate or address cortisol balance in the body. And um, optimizing our vitamin C can help to reduce anxiety as well as reduce the overexcitatory stress response, which can help in more qualitative depth sleep, um, depth of sleep and REM cycling. So definitely a big piece of this whole puzzle would be to optimize your vitamin C. And interestingly enough, vitamin C is probably the most generic recommendation when we're talking about supporting the immune system, right? Sure. So there's that connection, whole circle of this thing. Um, so citrus skins are huge. Um, bell pepper, citrus itself as a fruit. Um, kamu Kamu is a superfood that you can use in a powdered form in your protein shakes and or smoothies, elderberries and berries in general. Um, but I've been a big fan of the citrus zest, um, so the form of the skin, and I've been doing weekly um, our turmeric shooter without honey, where I actually blend um, the entire lemon with some of that pith in there versus just juicing the lemon. Um, so we get a little bit no more of the nobelin, which is that uh, white furry pith that can have very anti-inflammatory benefits for the body um, and also stimulates digestive function. 
Um, I definitely notice a shift within um, helping with um, bowel regularity during times of stress when I'm getting that shooter in the morning. It helps with bile flow for sure. And then um, within that, adaptogens and glandulars can help with supporting the adrenals on a nutritional support in the form of tinctures, in the form of teas like holy basil tea, which uses Tulsi um, would be great. And then that's where on a supplemental level that adaptogen booster that um, a adrenal support or calm and clear could be good tools to consider as well. Awesome. So yeah, beyond the, the just immune influence with the vitamin C in terms of uh, supporting our, our immune system, it can actually help with our cortisol response, which can also support our immune system. In More big picture. Ever. Yeah. So interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so awesome. I think we've provided a lot of really great resources. And thank you again, Allie, for sharing your story. Um, it's so interesting to see all of the, the pieces that kind of push things off kilter, but how we can acknowledge and, and go back into remission, um, acknowledging the body for, you know, that it's not just doing this to rebel against us. It's actually responding to, you know, its environment and, and its stressor and how we can go into remission, get back into optimal health. Um, Cause we see this every single day with our clients at the naturally nourished clinic. For sure. And, you know, for all of those other autoimmune warriors out there, I highly encourage, you know, this connection, hopefully today, sung some trends for the connection with the stress response and being aware of the signals from your body during a time of a reaction to stress, whether it's a sleep change, a change in racing thoughts or difficulty concentrating more as a cognitive or mood change. If you notice a change in your cycle, because all of these types of things tend to precede a full-blown autoimmune flare. So, you know, if you're able to be blessed to be in a remissive state using functional medicine, be mindful to double down on certain interventions as needed to prevent full-blown flare and, you know, re-harness your HPA access during times of stress to stay on top of your body's autoimmune activity. Yes, and I think that's another episode right there, Ali, is what to do if we are in an active autoimmune flare, how to stop a flare and aggressively reset. I know you have a lot of tricks that you personally use um, and use with clients as well with things like MS and Crohn's. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think so. (laughs) (laughs) But not today. (laughs) No, no, no. So that's all we got for today. And um, if you feel like I was speaking to you, please go over and check out AllieMillerRD.com. You can get started under books and programs. You might decide you need to jump into uh, Candida Dysbiosis uh, Cleanse and check out our ebook and cleanse bundle. If you're someone that made a connection with, oh my gosh, my endometriosis might be connected to yeast, or I too had a crappy diet, like Ali said, as I was a teen. And although I've done all this work, maybe I need to go in there and plow the field. So that might be a good place to start your journey. Or you might want to look deeper into inflammatory foods um, and do some strategic testing um, or become a client in our clinic or just get started with some adaptogenic stress support for your system with our stress supporting bundle or adrenal rehab bundle. Yes. And if you guys are enjoying the content on this podcast, please take a moment to hop on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review on the Naturally Nourished podcast. Um, You can also pop over to Amazon to leave a review for Allie's cookbook that I did the 
photography for naturally nourished and leave a review there or pick up a copy if you don't have one. And then finally, be sure to follow at Allie Miller RD on Instagram and Facebook to stay on top of events and up-to-date recommendations and really great photos of food. <laughs> Make it drool. <laughs> so thanks guys for listening. Hopefully today you spend the rest of your day finding your mellow. <laughs> and thank you for uh, listening to my personal health journey. I hope that you feel empowered by ways that you can control your stress response to optimize and thrive in your body and really support your immune system and prevent autoimmune disease as well as regulate flares. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well. <laughs>